0: Good morning, please remain standing with me for the reading of God's word. And I just wanna remind myself and all of us this morning that God's word is alive and it is inspired by him, it's sent to us. So I just pray that the words as I speak them, that the Holy Spirit will, I don't know, just ignite in your heart a special word that God has for you this morning. I'll be reading out of Philippians 3, verses 12 through 16. and if in anything you think otherwise God will reveal that also to you only let us hold true to what we have obtained attained thank you you may be seated
1: well there's a growing awareness that there is a longer trajectory of life for Individuals in America and that is both a beautiful thing, but also an economic challenge as we figure out how we're gonna Take care of the baby boomer generation that are gonna be retiring and moving into that season of life that they're um, Needing to continue yet not having the same ability to earn As studies are going on they're recognizing that young people are less and less likely to save towards their future and retirement And so there are different studies that have been going on to try and figure out ways to encourage people to uh, not just have instant gratification, but wait and store up. And if you're like me, you have not done this. And so you're kind of like, yeah, uh, retirement, that sounds great someday. But there's this disconnect that they're finding between people in their young years with the connection they have with themselves in their old years. And so there was a study that was done that's, uh, in the last few years, and it was, um, uh, it, it was fascinating in that they were trying to find a way to reintegrate people, young people in their 20s, with their person in their 60s or 70s. Now, in, in, in hopes of doing this, they put up this, uh, this trial where for one control group, they would show them basically a mirror of themselves, and then they would ask them to make decisions based upon retirement, based upon how much they were willing to sacrifice now for the sake of later, and then there was another control group, and through VR, they actually actually gave them a digital mirror of themselves where they saw their face as a 68-year-old and a 70-year-old. And it allowed them to be staring at themselves and interacting with themselves as they were making decisions about the same things. And the study shows that actually people who interacted with their um, future self were looking at their future self, were thinking about their future self, were more than twice as likely to sacrifice now and able to bless their future self. There's a ton more study, and I went on to, to read and nerd it out big time, because that's kind of what I do. I go down rabbit holes, and there's tons more uh, benefits that, that come from identifying with your future self. And I, I don't know if we have this slide. Josh, do we have the slide of the faces? One of the things that they created uh, is is this element where, um, let's see, can you go to the one that's, uh, let's see, yeah. So they did these digital creations, this is an example of one guy's face, and they had this sliding bar <laughs> where they could go like current annual income, you could go all all the way, so in the middle it's a neutral, if you were to go all the way to max retirement, right? the happy face comes. And so not only are they viewing themselves as like non-emotional, but they're like, okay, as I cut back on my own savings now, I get happier and I see myself happier, even though right now it's hurting. But if they were to cut back on the retirement, they would actually see themselves as getting like a super sad face. There is something about us envisioning reality that interweaves our world for us. Because if we're disconnected from our current self and future self, we're actually not going to advocate for our future self in a way that our future self deserves. If we don't have a vision for our future self, we will sacrifice now because we are so much more intimately connected with the instant gratification and the emotional rush of this current pain and moment. Do you guys recognize that? It's the same thing within Scripture. If you were to take Proverbs 29, 18, it says where there is no vision, a people go astray or go buck wild. If you don't have a vision, you're going to do whatever you feel like doing. I think the Christian community could use better vision and now throughout philippians we've been talking about jesus who is the model the pattern of beautiful pure humanity he is the ultimate vision but paul here in the text actually points us towards the vision of our future that the future you standing before the Lord, the future you who is transformed, transformed—that the future you who no longer is concerned about rent right now or what that person thinks or trying to impress X, Y, or Z, the future you who is standing with God completely whole, redeemed, restored, down to your core, Paul is saying, focus on that. Oh, yes, Lord. Because unless we have a vision, we will go buck wild unless we have a vision that aligns with God, we will go our own way. We will chase after our own hungers and thirsts and passions. Unless we are more connected to our future and true self with Jesus, we will be connected more truly and fully to our current passions and become susceptible to the now that is so current in our culture. So let's check it out in uh, chapter 3 of Philippians, verse 12. I'll whip my whistle as you guys flipped here. Passage there. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained this, or that I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind I, I, and straining towards what lies ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful and powerful verse. Verse but really we have to understand there's some complexities in here, that there's some gaps, if you were to look at the Greek language, uh, of what we're actually pursuing and grabbing hold of, and so we need to look at the context to kind of get an understanding of what Paul's talking about. This This is almost like we're dropping into a sentence. If your Bible breaks it up into paragraphs, that's not what Paul did. There weren't verses that he wrote in, so let's attach it back to where it belongs, which is to the previous stanza looking at verse 7 where he's talking about life and counting or considering his previous things that he treasured so much he says but uh, whatever gain I had I count it as loss for the sake of Christ indeed I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus my Lord For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, as empty, as nothing, in order that I may gain Christ. And to be found in him, not with the righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through the faithfulness of Christ. The righteousness from God that depends upon faith. Oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and I may share in his sufferings and become like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What is he talking about when he says, Not that I have attained this? Not that I've already attained this. That is the full knowledge and experience of Jesus. You can know Jesus. You can know that He is the Son of God, came to earth, died on the cross, rose again, conquered death, and He has opened the door for you to enter into the life you were always designed for, one of unity with Jesus, the Father and the Spirit. But not truly know the depths of Jesus, Jesus was not a two-dimensional human. He was fully and dynamically human. As one author I was reading this week talks about, he he actually, he walked in the dust of the earth. He felt the blades of grass between his toes. He understood what it is like to go without and to have more than he needs. He knows the human experience in dynamic three-dimensional reality. So to know Jesus is an ever-ending or ever a never-ending pursuit of learning the complexities and nuances of who he is and not merely that our lives Paul says man I have not attained to the full knowledge of Jesus there is like an endless bucket of glory and I want to know him I want to know the power of his resurrection And I want to know the fellowship of his suffering that I may know the glory of his resurrection. I know that's complex to think about, but but if we were to think about this, Paul says, I have counted all things a loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Now, Paul is talking in his own life of a former pattern of living where he was a Pharisee. He had lots of esteem and astute within his uh, uh, educational system and his social dynamics. Paul had a lot. But he says, I count it all as a loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. Have we ever thought about the idea that what used to bring you security when you come to Christ, you're like, yeah, I used to count on money to be the thing that makes me feel like I can fall asleep at night, that I have enough in savings or whatever. But now Jesus, the one who captures your eternal soul, now becomes the replacement security. That, that when we live in a way where we, we're driven after relationships or we're trying to find that person who will look at us as the one and only or they'll give us the love that we long for when in fact we find a love in Jesus that goes well beyond our human frailty, that his forgiveness is well beyond our ability to outsin his grace. We find that there is a deeper richness to Jesus when he becomes our person instead of any person on earth. You see, in Paul saying, I count all things a loss, he's like, yeah, I used to count my own ability to be good as something that brought me comfort, my credentials as something that brought me confidence, but I no longer see that credential life as the thing that I'm proud of. I no longer look to my credentials or to these things of the world to bring the savor that I long for. I'm no longer looking for nutrients, from the things that I used to because the things of this world no longer satisfy my soul. And so, yeah, I, I still have my credentials. I still have lots of things that I could be proud of, but I don't tend to take a lot of time to, to look at them, turn them over, and try and savor them because I've found something truly worth savoring, who is Jesus. And so more and more we're called as, as followers of Christ to become fixated on Christ Paul says, hey, I've not gained the full knowledge of who he is, but one thing I do, man, I set aside all else, and I chase after him to make him my own. Look at the beautiful language that Paul uses in verse, let's see, 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I strain forward towards what lies ahead. And in verse 12, he says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. That language made is the same word. It it can be translated as grasp. So I I grasp at Jesus. Why? Because he has grasped at me. And this gets actually really beautiful if we were to flip back to chapter 2 where where we're looking at the poem of Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be what? Grasped. So Jesus, he had full access to to grab at his glory, to reestablish who he was, to show the world that he was glorious and powerful. It was always at the edges of his fingers. But we're told that Jesus chose not to grab at his glory, chose not to grab at status on earth, chose not to do that, but instead grab hold of you. So he resisted the urge to grab for self and grabbed for you. And Paul is like, man, he grabbed me. I was walking on the road. I was one who was like, making war on the church i was a persecutor of the church i hated the church i wanted to destroy the church everything in me was was animosity towards that which would challenge what i treasured i was a destroyer of the church and then jesus met me on that road and then he grabbed me he threw me to the ground he made me uh, inexpressibly unable to resist that confrontation of glory. That language that Paul uses, being grabbed, it's like this single-minded focus of like intent. Interestingly enough, uh, Paul goes on to say, I, I go to make it my own. The language that Paul uses uh, about chasing after Jesus or apprehending Jesus it's the same, same word in Greek that actually describes persecution. So let's sit with that for a sec. Paul once had this inner energy that rose up within him when he saw that which came between him and what he prized. And this energy came out as rage, as destruction. He wanted to trample anything at that point before he was in Jesus it was the church he wanted to stomp out the name of Jesus because Jesus was threatening his status and position and thought pattern in life and so he's like I was a persecutor of the church I went after it to crush it now what does what what, what do we hear in this passage does Paul become a a very like Soft and easy fella. Once he comes to Jesus, he's just like, everything's cool, man. It's fine. I'm like, yeah. No, no, he's like, I-, I didn't just expand that passion. That passion was always intended to be used in the uh, construction, the building up, and the establishment of Jesus in my life. That passion was always there to, to grab hold of Jesus. And I was merely misusing it to try and grab hold of what I used to think was so powerful and precious. You see, so many of us, we misuse the very power that Jesus has given us to grab hold of him as he has grabbed hold of us. And so there's an invitation. There's this, not a loss of passion, that we should redirect our passions. Some of us have chased after things in life. We have pursued things. We have treasured things. We have fought for things because we want so badly for them to create a world around us that we feel secure, safe, or whatever it may be. Paul says, listen, don't just let that passion die. Put that passion towards grabbing hold of Jesus. Because grabbing hold of Jesus and knowing Him is not easy. It is described as a loss of all things. He talks about gaining Christ. He's not saying earning Christ. No, I want to gain more of an understanding of Jesus so that when the, when the bedrock of my previous identity the thing i built my life upon i look at and i go like man i thought that was that was strong enough to to actually build my life upon but you know what now i see that i've just built my life on sand and then you're brave enough to go okay i'm going to build my life upon the rock of jesus christ this house because the storm is coming the storm is coming, so I'm going to build my life on, on that foundation that is unshakable. When we look at the old foundation, the uprooting of our life is so painful. It is death. But when we choose not to grasp hold of the things in this world that all, of, all the people around us and, and many even within the faith are grabbing hold of and saying, I can't live without this. When we pry our fingers back, And we count it as loss. And we choose to apprehend Jesus instead. It is so scary and so painful. It feels like a death. And this is why Paul talks in the previous section when he says like, um, verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection that I may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. Paul's not just saying like, hey, there's something really special for those people who die like Jesus. No, he's saying like, we become like Jesus as we experience the death of this life and the things we hold so dearly to our souls. There is a a common experience that Jesus experienced when he chose, instead of grabbing hold of comforts to grab hold of the cross, we become like him in our sufferings as we detached from this world yes. and attached to him yes, praise the Lord. and what makes that different from every other experience that's not just some psycho babble it's the idea that within the death that we experience of releasing the life that we once had we actually experience what the power of his resurrection where life shows up where death is being experienced And so within the release, there is the grasping of Jesus, and that's what shocks our soul to life. That's where we go, I cannot believe I ever thought this was living in the first place, that this is truly apprehending life beyond life, eternal life today, and this is what should define us, and this is what the invitation is. that I may know Him, the intimacy of losing that which once was a treasure because of the surpassing greatness of the treasure in Him. Paul goes on to say, but I press on to make it my own. So there is the pressing on that almost violent action to take hold of that which is truly life. And the violent action to, to kind of move against anything that would stand between you and Jesus. With the same passion that Paul tried to crush the church, Paul was dedicated to crushing anything in his life that stood between him and Jesus. Oh, that we would have that same courage. That I would have that same courage. To not become comfortable at a distance. (laughs) To just stop and be like, man, thank you, God. I'm so thankful that you've died for my sins. Thank you for the peace that you've given me. Thank you for, for cleansing me and renewing me. For me not to just be like, man, I can't wait for heaven. And just chill. Paul says, whoa, whoa, whoa. I haven't arrived yet. This isn't the finish line. Being forgiven is not the finish line. That's not as good as it gets. Paul says, no, I I have striven or I'm driven to become more like Jesus. So there is this intimacy or knowing Christ that we pursue, but there's also this apprehension of becoming who Jesus anticipated us to be. Becoming the you, you will be one day. And this is where that study that we opened up with talking about becomes interesting. Where Paul not only says, yeah, I want to be close to Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want to strive towards the goal, the finish line, the upward call. This is the resurrection of the body. And Paul says this in verse 20 of chapter 3. He says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body, by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. There is a power that is at work within you now and will be complete in eternity. Your redemption is not finished yet. There should be a longing and a hungering for this body, this brokenness, these desires, this frail, pattern of hereditary genetics all the limping and the aches there should be a longing for us to engage with a new embodied reality with God where yes our spirit is renewed yes our mind is renewed but our bodies actually equal it as well I don't know about some of you but there is a day that that should be good news to us where we are longing to be conformed to the image of Christ and he's ushering us towards that. Now, as we uproot ourselves from the things that are of the fallen world and we root ourselves in Jesus, we are being renewed from one degree of glory to another. We we are being transformed not merely into uh, uh, the likeness of Christ, but the likeness of our original design. We're becoming more us that Jesus always intended for us to be. And so it's worth our time to pause and go, man, how attached am I to the future me? How much does that future reality actually imprint the way I make decisions now? How much does the day of standing before Jesus imprint your decision-making today? Paul's like, man, yeah, everything that Jesus has done is amazing, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind, and I press on towards the prize, the upward calling. One of my favorite authors, he's way smarter than me, and so I continue to try and reread his, his book. Uh, he's written a number of them, but I'm still trying to get my head around uh, exclusion and embrace. His name is Miroslav Wolf. He's a um, he works at I think Duke uh, University in their theology and anthropology uh, area. I think it is. Uh, he he wrote a book on exclusion and embrace, and he talks about the idea of the importance of forgetting. The importance of forgetting is significant because Paul here tells us the way forward is to release the past. And I think this is uh, just a, a place of pause only in the way of if we continue to believe that the best days were the old days, your focus is not in alignment with the way of Jesus. And so there may be old dreams that you continue to revisit. There may be uh, uh, areas of life that you grieve because they never became what you hoped that they would. There may be circumstances where you drop the ball big time. And you find your mind meditating or drifting or moving towards these areas of if only. And you revisit them to try and understand them and you try and and put them in context and you try and justify or you try and and figure it out and you continue to go back to try and find meat on the bone, but the meat has been stripped and it's gone. Paul says, listen, there is nothing that's going to help you move forward. The past is good for helping to inform us how to live wisely today. But the past is nothing in comparison to where Jesus is calling us. There is an upward call, this beckoning from heaven that Jesus says, come on home, my arms are open, and we are t- intended to be, man, I'm going to forget what lies behind. And that's easier said than done. Miroslav Volf talks about the idea that we can only uh, remember rightly when we forget Rightly. I think we have a quote up here. Miroslav, on the phenomenon of memory, he says, uh, Remembering some things entails forgetting others. There's a limited amount of what we can hold in our minds. And forgetting some things often takes place by remembering other things. We remember what matters to us. And we forget what does not. And only what we remember can matter to us. Whereas what we forget not what Paul is inviting us into is allowing our minds to be formed by the ultimate reality of who you are by the ultimate trajectory of your life by the ultimate saying of what God says you are And only in meditating on what Jesus says I am forgiven do I forget my sins only in meditating on what Jesus says I am his son his daughter do I forget the pain of neglect only in meditating on being incorporated in family of God royalty in heaven do i forget the shameful moments of this world we can try and try and try and try to forget guess what you have an enemy and he loves to bring to your memory the failings of your life satan wants to hold you in the pattern of viewing self apart from jesus and what he says Oh, that our minds would be so often returning. What do you say is true? What do you say is true, Jesus? Because unless we live here, here is unbearable. It will crush you. Your circumstances will blind you. And you will have that same passion, that angst, but you'll be grabbing hold of anything to try and satisfy and try and mend or even appease or comfort yourself instead of holding fast to Jesus and who, who grasps you. I fear that coming to the end of this is just so, I mean, this, the reality of this passage is so beyond what we're able to capture in a moment. And so I just want to invite us into a moment of quiet. I'm going to read this passage over us. I'm going to ask you to just listen for the voice of Jesus to you. whatever gain I had I count it as loss for the sake of Christ indeed I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things Count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know Him. The power of His resurrection that I may gain, that I may share in His suffering and become like Him in His death. Oh, that I, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or that I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Oh, I do not consider that I have made it my own. One thing I do, I forget what lays behind and straining toward What lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus. I'm going to invite you into a time of reflection where we believe God is here. God, we believe you are here to speak to us. Jesus, we're listening. the Lord has brought anything to your mind, I encourage you to acknowledge that before him, say, I hear you. Spirit, if there's anything in our lives that you see that we need to let go from our past, If there are chains in our life, Spirit, you are here, and where you are, there is freedom. And so, in the name of Jesus, I, I declare freedom that can break chains to the past, storylines, lies. Jesus, we ask you to help us to intentionally turn towards you, to meditate upon what is true, what is right, what is good. And would you pour out your spirit in our heart and our mind that the forgetting would be a byproduct of our remembering. I pray right now that you'd bring a vision, Lord Jesus, of those who have low view of themselves or they can't imagine their glorified self, perfected, beautifully accepted, as you always designed. Would you give them a vision of that now? God, as we're envisioning ourselves, would you allow us to experience the joy that you have washing over who we are in you? Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lord, that you grabbed us, you grasped us, so that you may bring us to yourself making us holy through your blood in Jesus name Amen Amen Uh, After service there's going to be prayer folks available actually during the second half of worship if you need to just sit somewhere you're welcome to do that Um, if you need to do some work with God that's great there's a little room back here backstage you can go and hang out If you want prayer, Kathy or myself is available. Um, But right now we're going to worship the Lord. Um, God kind of works like we do in this remembering and forgetting thing. God forgets our sins because he remembers Jesus lived, died in our place. So the memory of his son's death is what makes him forget your sins. Oh, that the memory of Jesus would overwhelm anything that stands in the way of alignment with it. God bless you guys as we take communion um, and worship him.